Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 233 of the Spoiler Alert podcast brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we'll be discussing the new biopic, rock, epic, historical, kind of real, true-life drama comedy, Bohemian Rhapsody about the band Queen, starring the kid from Jurassic Park. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Danny. How are you? I'm doing great. That is absolutely correct. I don't know if you noticed that. Who was that? The guy who plays the bass player. Okay. Who studied electrical engineering. Yeah. Was Tim in the movie Jurassic Park back in 1983. Wow. Now, uh, is he the one, is the bass player the guy that joins the band kind of late? Like right around the time Freddie Mercury joins the band? Yes. Yeah. And he gets like the crazy kind of curly flock of seagulls hair. Yeah. He sort of looks like Brian Setzer. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. All right. All right, okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not give no. away the good Brian Setzer stuff. Right, right, right. Let's just, uh, this seems like a movie that's right up your alley. Yeah. You like rock mo- movies. Totally like movies my about genre, bands. for yeah. sure. Yeah, like, I mean, you could you could make any movie about any band as obscure as you want, and I'm going to eat it up because you'll you'll fuse together some cool concert footage and some, you know, maybe some actual headlines, some archival footage perhaps i love that kind of stuff i mean i'm a i'm a real vh1 behind the music making of the album sort of nerd is that channel still around and is that show still around that's a good point i don't know what i do watch are a lot of the the you can stream them on netflix the like making of the album series of which uh queen's uh night at the opera was one of them once upon a time I i probably watched that 10 years ago yeah on Netflix, or you got it from the library? No, on microfiche. A, I, think, I think it was on Netflix. I'm, there was a wax cone that you would you'd spool a, a, a metal tip against, right, yes, and then that right, created some sort right. of yes audio. Okay. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a Netflix, but I do also think I'm also pretty sure that was about ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. You also like movies about characters with large teeth, so this seems like <laughs> so it's sort of a it's checks checking two all boxes the boxes. For you. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting. This is a movie that, from a critical response, has gotten fairly middling reviews. I'd say, you know, sort of middle of the road. I checked it on uh, Rotten Tomatoes today, and it was a sixty, which yeah, is so not- meh. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, yeah, but the box office champ of the weekend, of opening weekend, right? A really healthy opening box office. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the specific numbers, which is strange for me because normally that's the kind of esoteric data I revel in. But it was the number one movie in America, and it seems that the, the audience scores are much higher than the critical The response. audience scores are higher, and i got to say, I was charged up about the marketing of the movie. The poster, I think, looks fantastic. And number two, every trailer i saw in the theater and i and i think that every time i saw a preview in a movie theater of the, of the movie there was a different soundtrack behind the trailer like there were there were probably like half a dozen different ones that i saw and they oh, wow. were all mashups of the you know queen hits that are featured prominently in the film uh and the mashups sounded great i was like wow this really looks good and so I'm not surprised that it did well, especially for a movie about a band that is so, you know, widely lauded as Queen. So I want to get into this, but I certainly want to get you to the, the plot recap and get into the episode. Yeah. 
is Queen really that big a band? Yeah, I, like when I was growing up, they were. I don't want to say like a like a joke band or something. Like no one I knew really took Queen seriously. So my kids love Queen. Yeah. So so when you were growing up, we're talking like when we were in like junior, we're close to the same age. I'm a little older. Like when you're talking like junior high, high school age. Is that yeah. Like, so early nineties, I, I no I one is rocking Queen. I think that they experienced a huge resurgence after the sad passing of Freddie Mercury. I think that that was a uh, I don't want to say Renaissance, I, yeah, if you will. I don't want to say it was an opportunity for remarketing the band because that sounds like capitalizing on a tragedy. But I, I mean, clearly, a lot of greatest hits compilations came out in the immediate aftermath. I mean. Uh, on Michael Jackson's death, he was suddenly selling all of his albums at like platinum levels immediately right. on iTunes. Right. right? I mean that that has a tendency to happen, and I'm sure that the release of this movie is going to see a bump in Queen sales, just as you know the Oliver Stone Doors biopic back in the '80s did the same sure. thing. And so I think that the ha- that happens, but I mean they are. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. They are multi-platinum selling artists. I'm sure they were they were big in Europe. Why don't you hit us with the, the tight pop? Oh, tight, 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 well, we're going to keep it tight. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is a biopic of Freddie Mercury, lead singer of the rock band Queen, and their ascendance from garage band in the early 70s, their landmark performance at Live Aid in the mid-1980s. The movie deals with Mercury's Indian family traditions, juxtaposed against his eventually open homosexuality, his marriage to his best friend Mary, the formation, breakup, and reformation of the band, origination of their most famous songs and albums, and influence on the rock world since. That's really Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, it's not a... It's tough to do a plot. I mean, we're really talking about a 15-year span of their existence, right? I, I think you did great. I'd just say this is about the band Queen. Okay, sounds good. That's my plot recap. What did you think of it? I thought it was mostly bland. To your earlier point, this is a band that I cannot believe is famous. I, <laughs> I acknowledge that they have tons of fans, and I certainly got exposed to more of their catalog on Freddie Mercury's death and the subsequent release of a lot of their material. But I don't like most of it. And I went through an article where they recounted Queen's best 25 songs. And I mean, it was uh, I knew all of them, but I didn't know any beyond that. And I think I like five of them. Oh. Uh, so while I thought that there were some interesting parts of the movie and some interesting decisions that they made that made it a, a, a relatively entertaining sit. Overall, I was very ho-hum on it. How about you? Uh, I guess I liked it a little more than you did, but I'd equate it to seeing a fairly decent cover band. Mm-hmm. Like, it was okay, and they played a lot of songs that I enjoyed, and there were times where I found myself tap it along to the music or kind of getting swept up in things but it never really captured me the way it's seeing the real thing would right like if you were going to see queen or you're going to see a queen cover band this felt like a queen cover band now yeah. going up through high school and in college i was in bands so i like movies like this because i can relate to 
the personalities in the band and the, the the bickering over whose songs make the record and titles and lyrics and you know everyone getting kind of annoyed with someone else in the band at some point uh so all of that rings true and i have a lot of fun watching like these guys just sort of be bitchy to each other yeah so i enjoyed it from that angle but i just felt like it was a bit by the numbers and it was fine but nothing uh Nothing I'd write home about. There were some flashes of really interesting things. Now, Brian Singer was the director of this, who somewhat famously got fired uh, with a few weeks left of production. He's still the only credited director. I don't even know who finished it on his behalf. This isn't like when Lord and Miller got fired from Solo and and Ron Howard took over. I don't know who, who finishes. But... There were a few moments, like even the very, very opening of the movie, the 20th Century Fox fanfare (laughs) is played as though Queen is playing it. And I, from the moment I thought, oh man, this is going to be a fun movie. Like it set this tone of like playful and funky and weird. And then there were maybe like three other shots in the whole movie that felt like they matched that. And so it's sort of sad to think that the opening fanfare of the 20th Century Fox logo might have been the peak. I, lo- I love of that you creativity. said that. I, my notes say that was my favorite part of the movie. Like I thought <laughs> really? it was, I thought it was a, a cool choice. I love it when, when a movie uh, tweaks with the opening intro, the 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 studio title that you're used to seeing, and plays with it a little bit. I mean. Uh, Warner Brothers used to do it for the Batman films, which I, th- I thought always looked neat to be, you know, clouded and in grays yeah. and black, which looked really cool. I thought that that was a really neat choice. Ultimately, the one thing that I liked, and I wouldn't even say that it was the overall um, acting portrayal of Freddie Mercury, which I think was good. And, and certainly he looked a lot like him in uh, throughout a, a lot of the film. There were just... A, a very few handful of scenes where I thought that his his sadness and loneliness and uh, ultimate like kind of desperation came through. You know, he's he's really he's self medicating himself. He's he's drowning himself in in you know debauchery and and unsafe behavior. And there's a scene where whether this is at all true or not. His ex-wife, good friend Mary, shows up at his house in the rain and he's passed out from the party that had happened earlier. And you can tell how thrilled he is to see her, how how badly he needs some help, how he could use use some hand-holding at this moment. And she comes into the house that he owns and sees just the just the entrails of the party that had happened <laughs> right. the night before. And, and you know, Coke ta- and tables and with, with the everywhere, right. Coke left over and things like that. And, and he makes a comment that I, I can't remember quite what the quote was. I tried to jot it down quickly, but it was something like being human is a trait that requires anesthesia or it's a quality that requires medication. Or so, something where he's just basically acknowledging she sees what a mess he is and he's embarrassed that she sees it and he 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 wants to kind of brush it away but also acknowledge for her that he's in trouble and i thought that that was a really moving scene and i think that there's like maybe two or three of those throughout the movie the the scenes i felt kind of tended to repeat themselves throughout the whole movie the same three to four scenes over and over and over again but in those moments i could 
really sympathize with him and I feel make Freddie Mercury seem like a relatable character. And and that that was what I appreciated most about it. See, and that's so funny, and not to say I have the exact opposite, but when you watch the scenes with Queen, with the band, first of all, the other three members of the band all come off as totally normal, totally nice, uh, real open, respectable, kind of joking with each other. There's like zero drama in the band Queen, except for Freddie Mercury, who is this totally flamboyant over the top like diva sets himself apart like shows up late drunk like you know fires their manager just all the the crazy stuff that it just seems he seems so out of place and i felt like those scenes and then the corresponding scenes of him being the outcast and alone and mm. uh drunk or high just seem it all just seems so cliche and i just wondered with a band that normal, with a band that seems that accepting and like w- well functioning, how did they get into these problems? Like well, even when they're, we see the scene where they're sort of describing their operatic album, and there's no one in the band who's like, uh, I don't know that that's the direction I want to head, or like <laughs> I don't know if I feel good about opera per se. They're all like. Finishing each other's sentences, they're going with the flow. They're like a hundred percent on the, the same page. And again, that's so rare, I think, in a band because normally there's like one guy's like, "I'm really into like this type of music," and someone's like, "I just got a sitar over the summer and I want to experiment with that." And everyone's like, "If he plays that sitar again, I'm gonna stab him." I mean, there's all sorts of stuff like that. But these guys just seem like a hundred. Like one guy just got the new Les Claypool album and wants to like slap bass it up, and they're like, "No, no slap bass." But these guys are like 100% totally down with whatever. And then there's this chaos. I almost interrupted you when you were doing your um, intro to the thing because you had talked about like the the drama of the band or, you know, the bio, the the sort of warts and all. Or, or maybe it was when you were talking about how you've been in a band and you know how all this bickering goes. And, and, and my, my response is, no, it really seemed only like he was the problem. Like, they he all seemed, seemed the fully right. functioning. Like, they, like, like, they're all godfathers to each other's kids and, like, best buds hanging yeah, out. Yeah, they hang out on Sundays because they love each other so much. Right. I, I know I'm going to sound like a total hypocrite because we've talked about, you know, the power of movie making in Hollywood and how I really don't care what, what cinematic liberties you take to tell a story uh, I've I've subsequently researched the film afterwards because I don't know a lot really about the band other than my VH1 making of A Night at the Opera. And I, I've, I've learned a lot about how uh, he, he was not diagnosed, Freddie Mercury was not diagnosed with AIDS prior to the Live Aid concert. No, it, no. It, they did not break up before the Live Aid concert. I think they had broken up a tour together for a full year before the Live Aid concert. Their get-together was not at all prompted by his diagnosis because it hadn't been a diagnosis at the time and it sort of made me feel like again this is a band i don't quite understand why they're famous and why people like them if what i saw in this movie was kind of boring and it was not at all true but only to make their story a little more heartwarming and exciting and it wasn't even true how influential really is this band ultimately like how how good were they how exciting is well, their rock star life 
the the their set at Live Aid has been often described as one of the greatest rock performances of all time. Like so this I've 21 heard, minutes yes. of live music is supposedly like the the jam. And so one of the things I really thought I found really ballsy about this movie and frustrating. So the frustrating part is there was a lot of cool stuff that Queen did apparently, especially in the recording studio, that this movie just breezes through in like a three-minute montage a couple of times. Where it's if these guys were really this creative and innovative and wild and they're trying things, maybe spend a little bit of time there. Now, I know they're trying to make this more about Freddie Mercury and less about Queen, but you're spending time about Queen, so maybe give us some more goods there. But then the the bold part is the the last twenty minutes of the movie is a full twenty minute recreation right. of their live aid I mean, like performance. Minute for minute, I have yeah. never seen anything like that in a movie like this. Not just a quick montage, not one song, not skip to the end, just hit the chorus. This was twenty minutes of screen time. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that? No, never. And I'd and I'd actually misread the runtime of the film when I went in. So I had looked at my watch because I'm like, it's gotta be getting to the end here. And sure enough, it's coming up on the one hour and fifty minute runtime that I'd seen. And so I thought, oh, I get it. They're it's gonna be artistic. They're gonna take the stage and it's gonna fade to black and they'll do the you know, the epigraphs at the end that explain what happened afterwards. But no, I just misread the time. And so we got 20 minutes right then thereafter. And I would have sworn that in the Live Aid performance, which I remember a teeny bit from watching in the 80s when I was young. I remember Madonna. I remember Paul McCartney. I swore they did Somebody to Love. And that clearly wasn't a part of the set. That was not one of the songs that they did in that 20-minute recreation. But I, So it's ballsy. I also felt a little unnecessary. Like, by that point, the movie's dragging. But, and to my point, at the very top of the episode, you're going to spend the full 20 minutes showing us because this is supposedly the greatest performance of all time, which was recorded. I was surprised they didn't just cut to archival footage. Just show the last 20. Because either you're acknowledging it wasn't that great, or... You think you can recreate it more in a more exciting fashion, but it was really like a cover band. Yeah. You know, then you get like a like a half measure. So you're going to invest 20 full minutes in your movie on this scene, but you're not quite recreating the power of it except to sort of melod- make it melodramatic. Yeah. With, to your point that the they, cr- they kind of fudge the story and move the facts around to kind of give it more emotional heft. But it just was supposedly a great set. And why don't we just watch that? And I feel like even beyond just fudging the facts, I think that this this movie got ultra cheesy in the way they could condense like events that you're supposed to get some heft out of into one birthday dinner. Like at the one birthday dinner, he's pretty much coming <laughs> right. out to his family and they get a recording. And like nine things happen on the day that they meet his right. wife, including him kind of acknowledging that he's probably gay like it and changing it, it, his name and cha- he's right just, right yeah, right yeah. Like all of that happens at one birthday dinner and then and then every time they're in a studio there there's tends to be some headbutting right it's freddie mercury with the rest of the band but every time 
it ends with one of the band members like playing the riff of the song to kind of diffuse the tension and then they get into it and record a hit right like it's every every again it was the same four scenes over and over again there's yeah. sort of an emotional i'm lonely freddy then there's him showing up late and antagonistic at a recording session an argument over should we go this direction or not until they're all just jamming and it's another one bites the dust or it's we will rock you or like i over and over and over again and that that was really hokey yeah i guess i guess but again i like i guess i'm nostalgic for fighting with the guys in a recording studio and then just somebody lays down a (laughs) sick track and you're like let's ace this piece and i'm nostalgic for seeing a little bit more debauchery this is like a whitewash you wanted more of the snm club yes yes. you wanted to see more freddie mercury wearing like a studded collar platters of coke on their head for marlon brando to snort as he walks by that's what i need in my rock biopic What is up with this movie honestly giving Mike Myers a role? Like, that just seems so, I mean, because of Wayne's World and because of the prominent use of Bohemian Rhapsody and the huge amount of popularity that the band and the song got from that movie, they kind of pay him back by by putting him in this movie. And it's one of those roles that Mike Myers does where you're like, is he there to be funny? Is he trying to, is this trying to be like a serious role? But he's kind of given like funny things to say and do, but not really. I just, I couldn't, it was like such a fourth wall breaker. And if you close your eyes, he's just being fat bastard anyway. Like it's totally the Scottish voice from Austin Powers. It's so stupid. That was a, that was, I agree. That was a really, that that was a weak casting choice. What's up with Mary? Like one of the first times we see them in the movie having had relations with one another uh, they're getting back into bed to snuggle, and her blouse has like fifty buttons on it. Like she must have had to button that thing for eight nine minutes if she ever wore it. What's up with that same scene? She's buttoning up her blouse, I think, appropriately because they're laying on a filthy bare mattress. Oh, There's yeah. not even a sheet yeah. on this thing. Yeah. It is just like you, you kind of get the sense like he found the mattress on the side of the road. Yeah, and yeah, pulled yeah. it in. Right. That was gross. I, I, and he they're also has very a piano. Bohemian. Yeah, he has a piano right above his bed so he can play upside down and backwards. He can play the the chords that will eventually become Bohemian Rhapsody. Which you know he didn't know back then. He had not thought that one out. They actually give him a line of dialogue where he's like, I don't know. Could be something. Like, I I, I might be onto something. (laughs) And we're all supposed to think, There were too many of those little throwaway pithy moments. All of those annoyed me. What's up with the press conference that they shoot where, you know, Freddie's clearly getting in a bad place and they're trying to promote an album. Did they, like, take a lesson on how to not be the Beatles in a press conference? It was the most antagonistic, awful thing. It it just had me scratching notes. Like, did this ever really happen? Could this have possibly gone down? Right. I wrote the same thing. No press conference has been this antagonistic. Yeah. 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 Like at some, maybe this is like 20 press conferences. They just condensed into one. Right. But Donald Trump is nicer to the press than they were. What's up with the, after Mary recognizes that he's gay and she's leaving, we get like a two second reaction shot of the cats Mm. watching her leave. Yeah. Like we kind of get like a, what do you guys think? 
<laughs> shot of the cats. Right. What's up with that? <laughs> right, right. What's up with Queen's drummer totally Benjamin Buttoning in this movie? Like, when we see him, he looks young. When we're introduced to him, like, back in college, by Live Aid, he looks 10. Like, he is getting younger in front of our eyes. Like, it was really something to watch. I did love their outfits, the other three guys. Yeah. When they show up in the lawyer's office, uh, in Miami Beach's office yeah. at the end, yeah. Freddie's wearing, like, jeans and, like, a like a normal leather jacket. They all come in about as outrageously <laughs> 80s dressed as you can. One of them's wearing, like... Like a like a mustard blazer with like a shirt over it. The other guy's like just one hair short of like a turquoise fanny pack with like tight acid wash jeans. They couldn't have been any more cheesily eighties. And like, you know, Freddie was always the really flamboyantly dressed one, and in this scene, he is the most toned down. So we're in a suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. What's up with the end where they the story the movie tries to give him and his parents like a touching moment where he sort of reconnects with his father and his father gives him a hug and accepts who he is and then he goes off to play live aid and he takes his friend jim who's a a waiter who he had a conversation with once and he gets backstage passes to the greatest concert of all time but his, but his parents get like to home. sit home and yeah. watch it on right. the telly right with his sister like right was, like close to him in age and like would clearly really enjoy this moment could, could freddie mercury not score three more backstage passes right. Right. Could he not well, just and, get... Yeah, Mary comes, his estranged ex-wife, right. with right. her yeah, exactly. new husband. Yeah, right. like they all get to be back there. That was that was sad, yeah. What's up with how creepy Paul is? This is like the, the quasi-boyfriend slash kind of becomes his his link to the outside world and therefore the, the gatekeeper that cuts Freddy off and keeps right. him, you know, stocked in drugs and booze and, and, and crazy parties. He is like an absolute creep from the moment we see Paul through the entire film. Yeah. Like down to the mustache, the <laughs> just the way he's always lingering. Every line of dialogue he utters is just so flesh-crawlingly creepy. Yeah, just seething just with, think, with no, animosity, yeah. The band did not put up with this guy for many years before he took off with Freddie. This, this gets nipped in the bud right away. Right, no one right. puts up with Creepy Paul and his molester mustache <laughs> for several years just because. Absolutely right. not. Totally I don't agree. believe it. Totally agree, yeah. What's up with if you were any of the other three members of Queen, how do you feel about this movie? It totally glorifies Freddie Mercury, makes you seem like, I don't know, I guess you were in Queen, whoever you are. Even at the end credits, we get the one about what happened to Freddie. There's no mention of what happened with Queen. There's no mention of the other guys. Are they still recording? Are they just living off royalties? Well, Did they do anything with their lives? We don't care. Apparently, they signed off on it and had stopped a prior version of the screenplay, which Sasha Baron Cohen had originally been slated to play Freddie Mercury. Uh, but And I think Sasha Baron Cohen was involved more creatively in the creation of the film, but had a, a vision of the film where Freddie Mercury dies in the middle. And then the last half is Queen going on without him, which they did. But, but I guess the powers that be said, nobody gives a about what happened to Queen and Mercury died, which so they kept is making of course albums? true. Yeah, yeah. So, and apparently they all had 
uh, solo careers. It wasn't just Freddie Mercury. So I think oh, they wow. signed off on this because this is probably the best portrayal they get. Like, they all come off as the good guys. They totally do. This movie, if this movie dropped a ball anywhere, in in from my perspective on Queen, there was the scene where right when they're breaking up and Freddie says... I just can't handle it. Album tour, album tour, album tour. I need a break. I need something different. I thought this is it. This is where, gonna, where they're going to talk about the fact that Queen scored the entire soundtrack to the movie Flash Gordon. <laughs> and I thought they're going to break it up and they're going to do this this movie soundtrack because I've always been fascinated. How the hell did Queen end up doing an entire <laughs> right, album for this right. terrible movie? And no, instead they broke up and there's no mention of that soundtrack at all. So I got to I so we don't fact check and I'm a little frustrated with you cuz it seems like you fact checked a lot. No, I researched. But I didn't no, fact no. check. Oh, I, that's totally different. Never yeah. mind. But I wish you would have researched when did they do that? Was that before they were super famous on their way to being super famous? All right. Well, if any listeners are are fans of Queen and know we'll the check it out. the yeah. chronology, please be sure to let us know. Sounds Mike, good. are you ready for five questions? Yes, let's do it. Unless it's I've named got, five Queen songs you like because I I'm, will we're skip get that question. Right. Uh, although you did admit there were five that you liked, but that's we'll skip that one. Five listener submitted questions. Thanks, listeners. Question number one: If Freddie Mercury's songwriting, singing, and theatrical stage presence helped make the band so highly regarded. Why wasn't his solo career more successful? Uh, that's a, gr- a great question. I know nothing of his solo career other than what I saw in the movie. Uh, apparently he had a two-album deal. Um, given what I've now researched, that it uh, that he was not diagnosed until after the Live Aid performance, which happened after they their breakup, I would have originally said maybe it's just because he was really ill and didn't have the energy... To do it, but I think that came later, so I don't know. Maybe he needed the band as much as they needed him, like the movie tries to make the point of. Okay. Question number two. If stunt casting can make room for a Mike Myers role, why not add one for Dana Carvey? Great question. Why not? I don't I don't think we needed Mike Myers in this, but it sure seems like Dana Carvey got the short shrift. He, he, he helped reinvent this band as well. Just as much, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question number three. Brian Singer remains recognized as the only director on this movie despite having been fired. Do you agree with the Directors Guild of America's rule that a film can only have one credited director? Which That's, this listener seems... must not have quite right because we have like the Coen brothers and the Wachowski brothers but I, but was, I think those they're they're like a unit they're together. to begin with it's, it's yeah. it, right yeah. it's it, like the Coen brothers don't have two names as directors directed by the Coen brothers so I guess that's the director well, right I like Phil Lord and Chris Miller you know they, they direct movies together but I think that because they started together and they're a, a directing unit that's fine but if but Brian you, can't, Singer. you can't split off in the middle of the movie. Right. And yeah. Right. Uh, I disagree with that. That seems unfair. I mean, you get tons of screenwriting credits for people that take half-finished scripts and, and readapt it and do that. So I, I don't think that that's fair. It's a, it's a creative process. Every song, not every song, many songs have multiple credits, credited songwriters. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Question number four. Was it good casting to hire relatively unknown actors as Queen's guitarist, bass player, and drummer, since most people can't name those guys anyway? <laughs> I, see, 
seems great. Although what I would say is that in doing some research for the film, looking oh, at you with look, the research, looking at pictures of the band, those guys looked a lot alike. I would say great casting based on their their physical appearance. This looks like the band could pass off as the real deal. And I'm going to go ahead and just disagree with the the sort of the the foundation of the question, given that Tim from Jurassic Park plays the bass player. Yeah, totally well known. Huge star. Yeah. Huge, totally well known. Right, Richie Uh, Sambora plays Brian May. (laughs) Uh, Now this last question, gosh, these listeners. uh, Question five. Does this movie prove the old axiom, you can't spell Bohemian Rhapsody without the letters A-I-D-S? That's five questions. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. I, you know what? I'm glad that I saw it. it for, for the handful of songs that I do enjoy, it was fun to, to check out. And I do love rock biopics, whether they're totally realistic, documentary, or semi-made up. Uh, it, was, it was still fun and i'd probably encourage a lot of people to see it because i could see why it would have some mass appeal how about you yeah like i said i i feel like it's a good cover band with some some decent renditions of queen tunes I, the music i had a, a lot of fun with the band scenes were fun i could do it without a lot of the freddie mercury stuff it just didn't really connect and felt pretty cliche for me uh but maybe he lived a cliche life so that's how that worked out for him uh, but I, I get why people it. like it, and I get why, why why critics were enamored. Just, just like looking in a mirror. <laughs> so bland and boring. Right. <laughs> anyway, well, coming up next, we've got another uh, quasi-biopic. This time it's The Front Runner, starring Hugh Jackman. Uh, so we'll look for that next. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.